the Animation Addicts Podcast, episode 286, The Current State of Walt Disney Animation. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hey, animation addicts. My name is Chelsea Robson. And I'm Morgan Stradling. Okay, we have been off the clock, as it were, for about a year. <laughs> but mm-hmm, we came back with one episode of Wish going through. And it basically, Wish was the movie that culminated or was supposed to, quote unquote, culminate 100 years of Disney. And that is, first off, the fact that any company can make it to 100 years is amazing. Impressive. Like, this is this is a company, not just like... Not just a person. Even if a person makes it to that long, you're like, whoa. (laughs) But to be able to have that many moving cogs and things going that created so many memories for so many people is something to celebrate. And Morgan and I were children of the 90s. And so we are therefore major Disney buffs. And yeah, so we were excited about this, or at least we've, we wanted to be. We've we've seen a few eras of Disney. We've talked about them mm-hmm. in our different Disney era episodes. Go back and listen to those. Those are great. Um, we've seen the ups and the downs. And as Disney fans, we've also studied and researched some of the ups and downs that we weren't necessarily alive for. And it really had us thinking about the current state of Disney animation right now, because right now it feels like we are at the bottom of an era. We are in the mm-hmm. valley of sorrow and sadness. <laughs> As happens, you know, this is typically what you'll see during, you know, we've seen this with the Black Cauldron and Chicken Little. Those are the bottom of the valleys for each yes. of the eras, right? And it typically it might take a few years, but we're hoping that alone they're enough of a stinker that it will kick it off so that way changes will happen. And the state of the Disney company right now is very interesting. So we are going to talk about it. We're going to talk about how they got here how what it what it is currently how they got here and then what they can do to change it what's his name you threw off my groove I'm sorry, but you've thrown off the Emperor's groove. Sorry! You were saying? What's his name? What's the the quote from, I think there's a quote from a movie, like, this has all happened before and it will happen once again. (laughs) I don't remember the quote, but you can, I'll go with it. There. It's a good one. Yes, yes. And and this is Disney at a T. And I think a lot of companies, you have your highs and your lows. And so we, we go back. I mean, obviously, there was a low period when Walt died because it was the studio was kind of in turmoil. It wasn't like a total right. crash and burn, but the 70s weren't the greatest. Um, but it really started going downhill in the early 80s. And that's when we have the Don Bluth revolution where he left and he took all these animators, started a competing studio, which was good in the end because it forced Disney get their crap together and to improve the quality. And so after Black Cauldron, they said, we really have to reverse course. And so they did. And that it really, this was brought in by Michael Eisner, who brought in Jeffrey Katzenberg. And really, he really focused on we, what do we need to do to improve the animation studio? Because this, this of all things is the studio's legacy, which Mm -hmm. upon which everything is built, the parks, the merchandise, everything. Jobs, livelihoods. (laughs) Like everything is based on the rise and fall of leadership in this. And we've always had just different leadership books around and talked about. And from everything that I have ever read in all of these books, it's just everything rises and falls on leadership. And you can really see that. And I think that, you know, MBA classes are going to be studying this for decades on just every (laughs) We could, Morgan, you and I should put together an MBA course on the rise, rises and falls of Disney, <laughs> of Disney animation. 
so then we're led into the great Disney Renaissance, which was the time that we really we experienced Disney at really its height yeah. when we were so young. And then we began to see it fall out. The Disney Renaissance, you know, brought back this Broadway musical. The animation was just phenomenal. All these incredible animators, which that's one thing that I think really stands out about that era. There's there's the golden age that had the nine old men. And mm-hmm. they were just absolutely fantastic at their craft. And I think that's important. We'll have to talk about that when we're talking about today. But we had Andreas Deja, Glenn Keane, James mm-hmm. Baxter, all of these really great, phenomenal animators that... Icons. Iconic Disney legend. They owned the character mm-hmm. and made the characters who they were, um, which really ultimately elevated the movies. And then, you know, they couldn't really keep it going. By the by, the early 2000s, the Eisner era was starting to falter, and mm-hmm. as a result, the movies, you know, whether it was directly correlated or not, but the movies did falter, and they just weren't hitting like they used to. You have a lot of duds like Atlantis, The Lost Empire, um, Lilo and Stitch, and then, you know, but obviously some of these are more iconic now, but at the time, some they weren't necessarily these huge box office amazing films like they were in the 90s, and then obviously mm-hmm. the titular... Uh, Home on the Range, followed by Chicken Little. So Home on the Range was <laughs> after that. They closed down the 2D studio, and then they led up with Chicken Little, which was the studio's, other than Dinosaur, their fir- you know one of their first CGI. And that was such a dud and embarrassing and just, ugh, never make me watch it again, please. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And then at the bottom of the bottom, around 2005, Eisner is out, Iger is in, and Iger... If you've read his memoir, if you've even studied him, he is all about these acquisitions. He, how can I acquire these big studios, these big properties, these big entities? And the first, you know, buck that he had in his sights was Pixar. And he had this unheard of deal, you know, the, the, the price that they had paid for Pixar. He really wined and dined and wooed Steve Jobs, who was one of the co, you know, owners of it. And as a result, Pixar was purchased by Disney. And with it, Lasseter became the kind of chief creative officer of both studios. He was just this amazing legend. You know, they'd been in the game, um, you know, only 10 years at this point, but they just had hit after hit after hit. Um, You know, and obviously Pixar had been around longer than that, doing shorts and whatnot, you know, in the 80s. But Mm -hmm. he came over and then he, you know, he did what he could with Meet the Robinsons. He was Princess and the Frog. He really took that around. And then, you know, we see the early early 2010s where Disney is doing phenomenal. Pixar's doing pretty well, too. And mm-hmm. that really revived the revival era is, you know, the Frozen, the Wreck-It Ralph, Big Hero 6, all of these movies that really were phenomenal. Yes. I read Ed Catmull's book. And honestly, it is one of my it's favorite. Top 10 it, business books. It's just so good. Yes. It is so, so good. But one thing that I really noticed in there was that, you know, there was this time where Lasseter worked for Disney. And he had all of these ideas and he was he was the genius that he is. And he was just spouting off these new things. But the aversion to change was a problem with Disney at that time. And so he went off and started Pixar and they started in these mm-hmm, new mm-hmm. The, this new uh, realm. And his whole trajectory through Pixar at the beginning and even into uh, moving over to being head of both companies he still had the ability to separate the two companies and keep them moving in their same um, trajectories, which Mm -hmm. was even more so of a talent that there's, that is so lacking in so many ways. Yeah. You know, it's just having each studio, having its own identity, having its own purpose and the types of types of movies and stories that they tell, you know, that in and of itself is just, I mean, next level. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then what happens is 2018, we we talked about this in our last episode and we kind of briefly did remember we were just kind of off the cuff when we were discussing that episode, uh, our wish review, we were in the car doing it. Right. And so what happened in 2018 is there were these allegations, sexual allegations of misconduct that had been brought against John Lasseter, mm-hmm. which was really shocking, you know, for people yeah. on the outside. And they did an internal investigation. And, and what I think is interesting is that these came out from, I believe it was Variety or one of the big trade publications. Now, if you know anything about those big trade publications, is that they are in the pocket of the industry, of the studio. Yes. Because yes. They, they, they want to keep getting the scoops. They want to be invited to the events. So they, tr- for the most part, will report very 
positively. They will, they will report what they, what you tell them to report. Right. In a lot of ways. Right. And so for something like this to come out is kind of shocking because I kind of feel like they, you would think that there, you'd have a moral obligation to report things like this nonetheless, but this is my personal opinion. I feel like this was kind of leaked to them because they wanted to get Lassiter out. Yeah. They, they're, you know, Iger at this point really, uh, he likes to be the number one, right? And so having Lasseter there, who potentially could even take over maybe the company if things kept going so well, right? Mm-hmm. Because he understands oh, the company. Somebody he, wouldn't want that. He was the Jungle Cruise skipper. And he, you know <laughs> yes. what I mean? He was yeah. the animator like Walt. It seems like if everything was going well, he could have been the successor to the Walt Disney Company, which, can I just say, would have been amazing. <laughs> so this these allegations come out. And it was really unclear at the time, and it still is unclear now. But it was like, oh, he's really touchy, and he's a hugger, and which I think everyone had kind of know John Lasseter was a hugger. You know, one thing you got to know about me, I'm a hugger. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so here is where I, I have my mm, two sides of the same of the story here. So for <laughs> me, I've spent a lot of time in around circles in industry of entertainment. And mm-hmm. can I tell mm-hmm. you, I don't know who isn't a hugger in the entertainment industry. Like, right. I, you cannot be a part of a play without being like, oh my gosh, open my arms and come here, you. Um, every, <laughs> every time you see somebody that's been a, a part of a play with you, you know, you just get become very accustomed to these people and it's like, oh man, hi, you know, and um, like a lot of times they'll even say like, okay, kisses, bye, you know, and, and it's just like a, it's a thing that they say and it, I've never taken it to the extent that it would be inappropriate unless it does get inappropriate, which also has happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I have been in, uh, positions where different people, different men, um, well, one specific men with power in his own way was trying to persuade me let's just say that and Mm -hmm. that was not cool like you don't come up behind somebody put their arm around your stomach and then kiss the back of their head while you're drunk if that's not what you're trying to move forward with Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. like there are two they're they're very different um Mm -hmm. allegations and different levels of allegations that you would um file these under i would say and yeah so so i i have a hard time knowing which side that's going to be on. Yeah. So with Lassiter, there was the hugging, which seems mm-hmm. kind of, you know, pretty innocent, if you will. You know, you might not like yeah. hugging. That's fine. But other people do. Mm-hmm. So there's that, which is very, very mild, very mild stuff. And then there was in the the articles that came out saying that he would kind of, he was very handsy and that he would t- touch like your leg and kind of, you know, just rub his le- his hand up your leg kind of in a, in a story meeting or whatnot, which, okay, I'm not, not really that's, into that. No, that's, that's the, yeah, that's, that's the other side of the canon. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not downplaying that as like, oh, it's, it was just that. Okay. We're just kind of presenting what we were presented in the publications. Now, right. all of that being said, I'll come back to this, but he was put on a, a leave of absence for six months. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that leave of absence, he was terminated. He was fired. And that was kind of shocking. They oh, we did an internal investigation. And for but these at reasons, at the same time, it wasn't shocking for the time. No, it wasn't because this was the height mm-hmm. of the, the me Too movement, really the height, height, height. So mm-hmm. me too, if you don't know, or you weren't around during this time, it was to Hollywood. There were a lot of women that were coming up and saying, you know, I'd experienced this, you know, the casting couch was a big thing. In, mm-hmm. in Hollywood, definitely old mm-hmm. Hollywood. And so women were coming out with these sexual allegations and obviously things like the Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, the, that was the crazy thing about Harvey Weinstein is like everybody knew that was happening. Everyone yeah. in the industry knew and people were okay with it, which that's a whole other moral oh, so discussion. Gross. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but then suddenly all of these situations and things that were coming out that were actually legit, there were just so many of them because there was this call that believe all women. And that's when my red flags really started going off because any believe all whatever is, is a red flag because you believe all women, believe all men, men mm-hmm. both men and women lie and will use situations for yeah. their better, for their benefit. And Absolutely. so once you start saying, Hey, it doesn't matter what the facts are. If you are accused, you are guilty. That's a big problem, especially being an American where we believe in the, you are innocent until proven guilty. So there was just yeah. all these allegations and an allegation equaled uh, guilt, guilt, which equaled mm-hmm. firing. 
mm-hmm. and there was no recourse or any you couldn't even go to court for it it was just like nope you're done you know and it was it was so prevalent that a lot of people were just losing their jobs over this this and that and you you look back now and we've really gone away from that and and people just kind of say like they apologize or whatnot but people aren't getting fired over some of these things like they were so that was it because it was the height of it um, that led to a lot of issues with John Lasseter. And also now that we've had time with this, you know, there's the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp situation where she mm-hmm. just printed these allegations in a, a story that he had abused her and all these things. And he got let go from the pirate series and lost a lot of money. And luckily for him, he had enough money that he was able to fight these. And yeah. he was able to prove in court that she was a freaking liar and made all this stuff up and it yeah. really exonerated him and how unfortunate that maybe there are people who one were not given that chance or two didn't mm-hmm. have the money to do so but i think that whole situation really opened up the farce that was some of the me too and how it had just yeah. gotten so out of hand yeah well especially when when somebody it sees an opening for power like what kind of person are they there's going to be some people who are going to take that opening and there was no there was no recourse if right. you made a false allegation and you were seen right. as brave and beautiful and you would get the press. Yeah. And especially, I mean, the thing with um, with Amber Heard and that whole thing is the fact that it was like on YouTube and everybody could watch it and everybody could be like, are you kidding me? Yeah, the, the trial. <laughs> yeah, I heard the trial. I mean, it was just, it was a circus. And we mm-hmm. even did a little bit of a tag on on our thought, well, it wasn't even our thoughts on the trial itself, but it was, you know, just the fact that it was a circus and um, they were both dumb in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that he should have to lose everything just because she wants to be seen as the victim. And like, yes, oh gosh, I, <laughs> she's just maddening. Anyway. Going back to Lassiter, um, I have spoken to some people who were at disney at the time and basically yeah i mean the me too movement was one of the main catalysts that forced this outing you know i'd heard that there maybe were shenanigans happening that were Mm -hmm. not reported that may have also contributed to this so whatever you you know i don't know whatever shenanigans would mean per se Mm -hmm. but it seems to me maybe a little bit more consensual it was kind of the vibe that i'm getting you know there were some shenanigans happening and those came out and that also happened with some me too stuff is that like consensual things that had happened long in the past suddenly became uh you know to your benefit to say oh this actually wasn't consensual and i can use it against you and and off i go and so i don't know i do not know the extent however there was never any police reports of like rape or any of this assault right 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 not that everyone po- does a police report, but in this instance, you really would be the perfect time. It would behoove you. Right. And Disney, too. So um, although Disney does like, you know, does like their PR, HR or their PR control right. to keep everything under. Yeah. But I, I got the vibe that this was it. And what I, what was said was the ex- whatever happened, it absolutely, in all caps, did not deserve to be fired from Pixar. Maybe the leave of absence, maybe some... Um, discipline, whatever, but w- the, it seems like the the extent of the crime was not worth firing him, and therefore, as a result, tanking Pixar and Disney at the same time. Right. It's really a shame, but also I don't know. It's like I don't want to. I don't want to be like a Lasseter apologist for hanky panky shenanigans because I don't know what happened. But from what I, from everything we've been told, it just doesn't seem like. The punishment fit the crime. Yeah. I... It's just so sticky. I do not... Yeah. <laughs> like, I... I mean, because I was like, I'm by no means uh, a, think that this is not a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just move into Bob Iger. Okay. Anything that's coming from me right now is 100% conjecture, okay? So I have no inside scoop on anything. I, I am just an outside person looking at what I'm seeing and kind of making, coming to my own conclusions. And based on what I know about Bob Iger, I just feel like he is never going to leave on his own volition. And mm-hmm. if he at any point in time saw that John Lasseter was a, an option to replace him, I wouldn't put it beneath him to place those types of stories in the press. Yes. So 
one thing with Bob Iger that a lot of people don't know is his contract was set to expire in 2019. Okay, at the end of 2019, Bob Chapek came and he became the new CEO. This And then obviously pandemic happened in 2020. And within a year and a half, Chapek was out. And people seem to think, oh, Iger was gone. Iger was not gone. Iger did not. He did not even leave his office. He was a <laughs> he was a consultant getting paid by Disney, even though he was, quote unquote, retired. So he was retired, but not retired and still very right. much as having been the CEO who had multiple times re-upped his his contract. Re, re, yeah, it was supposed to be this time. Then it was supposed to you know be in 2015. He was supposed to be done. And he kept renegotiating and extending his contract until finally 2019, after 15 years, it was time to go. And, but then when he was supposed to go, he'd never really left. And mm-hmm. that's just important to know because then when he came back and if you listen to things that Iger is saying now, it's just total, total BS, total bullcrap. Yeah. So anyways, that is Iger, but we're not here to talk about Iger because Iger, yes, he's involved in the studios, but, um, who took over the studio in 2018 was Jennifer Lee. Now, Jennifer Lee is an interesting case because mm-hmm. she doesn't really have this long tenured history with Hollywood. Typically, you know, the the heads of the studios were those, especially in Disney animation, were the ones who had animation background. They were the Mm -hmm. animators who climbed the ranks, at least if, uh, as far as being a director on a film for a minimum, you had to be an animator and then the supervising animator, you know, head of, head of animation, whatever, eventually, and then you would get your uh, director position, right? And so Jennifer Lee, she got her MFA, I believe in 2004, 2005 um, in screenwriting and film. And then really didn't have much going on. Um, she she wrote a screenplay, a screen yeah screenplay that you know won a award. And then the co-director or the co the screenwriter for Wreck It Ralph said, "Hey, he went to school with her. He said, hey, I need to bring you on so we can work on this.'" And then so she started working on Wreck It Ralph, which is really one of her first credits. And then was quickly brought on in 2011 after that wrapped up and they were starting to animate Wreck It Ralph. She was the screen direct screenwriter for Frozen. Mm -hmm. And then in the process of Frozen, she became a co-director. Now, Mm -hmm. I think this immediate promotion from basically a Disney no one, an outsider, to having two screenwriting credits to being co-director is wild to me. Yeah. Uh, It it honestly feels like Disney very much is about their image and how, how they are perceived. They don't, it's not like necessarily that they want to do good. It's just, they want to be seen as doing good. Right. And I think this is my own personal opinion, but I kind of feel that she was given the, the slot of co-director one, because she was obviously very involved in the story and whatnot, but it was an opportunity for them to say, Hey, look, this film has two sisters. It's all about girl power. And we have the first female director of a Walt Disney animation studios film. Isn't that great? Right. Right. So brave. Yes. So then, you know, she, you write some more screenplays and continues to be involved. And they kind of, at this point, Pixar had this brain trust, which was, it was Brad Bird. It was John Lasseter, Pete Docter, I think Lee Unkrich, you know, kind of like the head honchos, uh, Andrew Stanton, Ed Catmull. There was just a handful of people who would help with story and, and really massage things until it became good enough to go and be made into a film or whatnot, or they would, they would help films in progress. And so he brought that over to Disney and Disney's brain trust. Uh, you've seen video of it in the um, <laughs> frozen two d- uh, documentary, which is such a spectacle a disaster, if you will. But there are thou- there are like so many people in this brain trust meeting. It's just, it almost it's seems committee it's, now. It's, it's like they're making movie by committee. Anyway. So mm-hmm. she was kind of creative. I, I just, she was I just creative, wanted- she was creative leadership kind of for a few films and then finally, when this happened in 2018, immediately she was just slotted into that role of head of both well, studios. I heard somebody that when she, when they were getting rid of Lassiter, that a woman who was part of the um, – so who worked they, there. No, no. They did a kind of Q&A at Pixar. Uh, okay. Iger came out and he did a little Q&A and like talk – or let them – hey, this is what's happening. And then he did a Q&A afterwards. And there's a, a woman who worked at Pixar who stood up and said, can we just have a woman now? Or <laughs> can we just have a woman run this place? Which again, goes complete with, completely with the optics of things. It's like, right. it, there was no, hey, can we have the best, most talented person to take right. over these studios and, ta- and, and to lead us into our next phase? It was like, no, can we just have a girl? Right. <laughs> Which is, uh, this is the, okay, this is beginning the problems with Disney. So, but uh, what, are you sure that was Pixar? Because it was not a, I heard it was at Pixar. Okay. Well, 
they didn't get there what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Considering it was Pete Doctor that they got, they're like, oh. Yeah. Well, he was the v- he was the VP, and he had right. been the number two for a while, so mm-hmm. he was he had been prepared for that role, if you will. It made right. sense for him. But as far as Disney, you know, in the early 2010s, a lot of their animators were really fed up with Disney, despite all the success of some of the movies. You know, you see Glenn Keane leaving and Andreas Jaysaw. Mm-hmm. But obviously, those were a lot of 2D figures. Yeah. Weren't making the jump. Right. And so as far as like leadership, it, it was it was Jennifer Lee, which I think Jennifer Lee is the problem with Disney. Just let's cut to the chase at the end of it. But if you see <laughs> what she has done since, I mean, everything that's kind of been under her helm has just been duds. You know, maybe Encanto, but I think Encanto was still somewhat uh, lasted or involved in the pre stuff. But mm-hmm. even if that is 100% her, nonetheless, you think of Strange World and Wish, it's just not doing it for me. Yeah. Well, and even Pete Doctor. Sorry, Pete. Like, no, Pixar's crappy too. The heads of both are just not cutting it. They're not doing what is best for their company. And not just what is best for the company, but it's also they don't like their fans. Yes. When I saw the behind the scenes for Frozen 2, I was amazed that they let that out one first off. Because yes. it was just, it it did not show any of them in a good light. And I understand that they were maybe thinking, oh, we're trying to be like the sweatbox. We're trying to be very, uh, very open and honest with how we are doing things. Okay, um, admirable. Glad to see that. But at the same time, like, it was very clear that she was struggling in that role. And mm-hmm. uh, struggling as being the creative person behind all of the things, all of the features, plus all of the story and, and that was five years ago four and a half okay four to five years ago oh, yeah because so the, because that movie didn't even come together until the last six months they were writing songs up until the very last moments and and that's yeah. one thing with wish is you know speaking of quality you know quality at the studio has just gone down the quality of walt disney animation is not there and i think one of the biggest things that you can point to is this once upon a studio short that they made for the 100th anniversary. And Mm -hmm. it features all of these different characters from, you know, Disney animation. And because many of the characters are 2D, they had to have this 2D animated. But man, oh man, does it look like a Saturday morning cartoon, like the knockoff Aladdin or the knockoff, like whatever, because you're having some cheap studio just animate this on the cheap and on the fast. And they're off model. They, They don't even look good. I mean... Sure, you could hire a bunch of contractors, but could you not just hire like Glenn Keane to do, you know, he has this thing, just contract him out to do the Little Mermaid scenes or this. But it's it really shows that the move to CGI, at least I'm getting this perception, that it's less about the artistry and the attention of detail and the craft and the mastery of art versus just uh-huh. pulling the puppet strings of the character and moving them around versus being, you know, true, true ta- truly talented. One thing I heard about Wish is that it was animated from reports in three months. Yeah. Which is, yikes. It looks like it. (laughs) Yeah, right. We're looking forward at the AI generation, which is going to just knock every everything that you and I know is just not going to be relevant in a lot of ways uh, when it comes to that. But I feel like the fact that you're able to go in and pull some strings, as you put it, to, in order to animate these characters meant that you could push this, the perfection of the story out to the very end and probably never even get there which is feels Mm -hmm. like that's how it's been and you can focus more on things that don't matter or that Mm -hmm. don't create a good story um go back to cars 2 i think it was pixar's instagram they had a story about this woman and it was trying to be very positive toward the fact that now they're able to do all these stories with diversity in mind which means that you would have, okay, it's basically filling in Mad Libs of we need this kind of a person, this kind of a, a, of a woman, and now create a script based on these things. And it'll go through and like move the different characters around and create it because of that. And it just totally sucks the life out of the stories from then on out. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, they're actually, they're just straight up telling us why they suck. When you have the ability to skip corners in one thing, then it means that you feel less need to dot every I, cross every T from the beginning. In 2D days, every movie, it took four years to do. 
they had to have everything sequenced out at a very specific pace. You had Uh to have the story Uh done. And then the artists had to create each scene, each background. The story was so refined before it even hit animation. Unlike Disney nowadays with their live action, where they, they have a screenplay, they shoot it, and then it goes through you know, two months of reshoots, which are so Mm -hmm. costly. And the the attention to detail isn't there. Like, oh, we'll just fix it. We'll just reshoot it. And that's terrible, you know, for your bottom line. Yeah. Well, so with Jennifer Lee, there was an article that she had, she had done in IGN. We'll include it in the show notes. Wish filmmakers considered going full 2D for Disney's 100th anniversary. So they considered it for Wish. And this Jennifer Lee says, what happens in hand-drawn is that you have the incredible hand of the artist. So she's acknowledging, like, you need to have someone who is incredible. <laughs> yeah. But also limitations in what you could do on screen. Translation, we don't have a 2D studio anymore. We right. don't have the talent. We don't have the the pipeline of, of from school all the way to, to even do that. Yeah. What happened in CG is you'd have incredible boundless opportunities visually that it elevated, even to the point for some into realism, which is not what we wanted to do. The more important thing to us was to have a way to find technology that can do everything, connect the true vision of the artist, but bring in technology that could finally take away limitations. That screams, mm. the artist means nothing to me. If we could just mm-hmm. find a computer to do this thing for us and do have AI animate it, that would be great. That's how I yeah. kind of read it. I know she doesn't necessarily mean it that way, but maybe she does. Like, hey, animators are, even, you know, CGI animators are expensive. Yeah. Um, 2D are expensive especially if you were going to do this 2D and they realized, crap, we don't have the ability. They would have, I think I read that they would have had to contract out to like an external animation studio. Yeah. They, they wouldn't be animating it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. For your 100th anniversary, it's like, on that. we killed that. So, you know, she's trying to talk around it like, oh yeah, uh-huh. you know, there's just so much you can do in CG, but it's like, no, you're a CG studio. You're a full CG studio. The last thing you did was Winnie the Pooh in 2011. Um, well, and you, like, you what, don't have what the special thing did they did they do? Did they have to show no. for it for Wish? Yeah, no, there's nothing we're in Wish gonna, that's extraordinary. We're just going to do this in three months either way because we can't get the story right. Even though this, they started on the story in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was like, this story has, quote unquote, been in production since 2018. That's six years. And you couldn't get something better than what you got. And it like, you just, uh, it's so maddening. So- yeah, the pro- so just kind of summarize some things and we'll go into the next point of like, what is the future for Disney? The problem with Disney right now is um, just a weak leadership team. You have someone mm-hmm. who didn't necessarily, other than Pete Doctor, but he's a different story for a different day. As far as Walt Disney, someone who it wasn't an animator, who was didn't have other screenplays really behind under their belt, really has just a few screenplays, then was put in a director position and then head of the studio and is really struggling in that role and isn't up to the challenge, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know Jennifer Lee. I'm sure she's a nice person, but there's a lot of great she, people. She was we a know. very nice person when we met her. Right, you know, right. We, we met her on the white carpet, said said our hellos. And, and she was very kind to us. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we, when I talk about somebody, I would like to think that they are in the room and I'm being as kind as I can because it's like, look, these are issues. Yeah, if you were to put me in a basketball, a college football coach, I would flounder and I would fail. Yeah, I am not right. up for the task of that, you know? So it's not a matter of like the person. It's it's yeah. strictly business where, you know, when I think Disney, for the most part, they've kind of, it's, it's more about their image and it's more about checking off the boxes of hiring mm-hmm. uh, certain people, you know, Jennifer Lee, I mean, the first woman for Frozen, um, and then having certain, key, you know, plot lines and characters that, check off the box for the academy so that way you can be eligible for the academy award things like that are taken you know front seat to everything else which should always be talent quality you know you know very strong leadership and so right now you know disney has poor quality poor animation poor stories and and a weak leadership bench and so really history has told us this before where do they go i only see this getting better with Iger yeah. gone and Lee gone. Yeah. Just like in the past when they had to clean house at the top and bring in a new CEO and new creative leadership underneath to fill that, who have a new vision, I mean, who that's the only way. At this point, though, they would be best to fire everyone 
and then do a hiring practice all from the beginning. Like start from <laughs> scratch. Like really, Oof, there's yeah. there's so many issues at every level of this company that it's like I don't. You, there's too many bees in your in the beehive. Uh, not not beehive. Bees in, bees in, the in bonnet. your bonnet. <laughs> there's too yeah. many bees in the bonnet. You know, it's like you're no matter what at every level. There's going to be somebody who's going to continue trying to push this uh, this type of hiring or this type of of leadership as opposed to meritocracy. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you cannot go back to meritocracy, then I just, yeah. I don't see how it improves. Mm-mm, mm-mm. From what I've heard at Disney, this is the number one question. It's not an unknown that Lee is the problem. It's, everyone knows it, but where do you go from here? How do you do it? And I only see this happening with with Iger. And unfortunately, Iger has just renewed his contract the slippery, <laughs> slippery little guy until 2026. And so what and we have then, even basically then, he's two more do the years. Same thing oh, yeah. He he'll extend it again. He'll extend it again. This is the way with him. And so until Iger's gone, I don't think I see much hope for Disney. Um, Disney until lost 2027. $500 million in one month. Oof, in the month of month? November 2023, mm-hmm. between the Marvels and Wish. They mm-hmm. lost five hundred million dollars. I don't know what what kind in of sign a normal you need. business. If that were happening, and in the olden days of Disney, if that had happened, you would be replaced. So there are lots of really wonderful animators, like for example, Aaron Blaze, who did Brother Bear. That mm-hmm. movie did not do well, and he never got another director role. He's not at Disney anymore. Um, you know, he went back to animating. It's like, nope, this didn't work out. We're trying someone else. But for some reason, they're just so stuck on. Nope, this is what we're going to do. We're going to try new people, people that, you know, haven't been here forever. I don't know. So I don't get it. Um, The meritocracy thing needs to be a number one priority because it's, yeah. So that and they need to stop hating their audience. Right. Well, that's one thing I was going to say. Like, I didn't take my kids to the screening of Wish, which normally I would. Um, It's a cool opportunity for them because I wasn't sure about this movie. I have, Disney has lost so much trust with me that I had to pre-screen a Disney movie to see if it was okay to show my children. That alone should be such a huge red flag for Disney that they families don't trust them anymore. It ended up being fine enough. I remember saying, I I hope I never have to see this movie again. Unfortunately, I did have to see it again. (laughs) And I took the family for Thanksgiving, but that used to be our tradition. We would go in the nineties. We would go after Thanksgiving dinner. We would all go to the movies and we'd see the newest Disney film. It was a thing. We didn't even think about it. We just did it and we loved it. But now I have, I'm very careful with what I show my children and Mm -hmm. I don't want, you know, I don't, I don't trust Disney. And that's the problem because the audience, they've lost trust with their audience and they don't even like their audience. A lot of the times it seems, um, right. You know, so they blame their audience. They blame the toxic fans for the fact mm-hmm. that their property. We suck. are the problem, Chelsea. <laughs> and I don't, as a huge Disney fan, I don't enjoy having this conversation. I like no. to be positive, right. but without these crucial, you know, critical conversations that are hard to have, I mean, nothing can be done to improve it. So, yeah, I mean, that I don't, I don't see how it can go any further, and. I'm I'm sad about it. It really is a bummer. I love the the history that I have with Disney. I love the influence that those early stories had on how I saw the world and um and how I see story and how these I I just there's so many great things about the history that we've gone through and lived through and to see it all come down to just like really bad story writing i mean just Mm -hmm. really bad Mm -hmm. like they throw in different different uh topics and different ideas and then they never follow back up with it like why did you say that why did you waste time with that comment or with that part of a story like it just doesn't make sense and then you come back and you're showing um the adorable princess or whatever basically most the stories like for example let's talk about meg everybody loves meg who doesn't love meg Mm-hmm. her issue was she didn't trust people. Mm-hmm. She had been hurt, but you understood her. You understood why. And then she was able to get over it because of other things that she was able to see goodness in others. But you would never today, every flaw that all of these princesses have, they're not actual actionable flaws. They're not flaws that they're supposed to be, oh, but she's so cute doing it, which 
which I'm going to say is a problem with millennials in general. We grew up as the everyone's a winner and really having a problem like going at and and looking at meritocracy and look where it's gotten us. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm saddened by it. Yeah. There aren't very many places where you could go and be excellent. Without Disney, there's one less place to go and be excellent. Looking up future films for Disney, it looks like for 2024, 2025, and 2026, they do have those November slots, those Thanksgiving slots reserved. However, right now, it's just TBA. They haven't even announced it, Mm -hmm. um, which I feel like previous, we would have at least known the two that were in the pipe. Um, yeah. But yeah, we probably won't hear about this one maybe early next year, if not summer. What <laughs> because this they won't next write it until be. four months prior. <laughs> no, they're in the process of writing it, and they're, it's not working out. They're going to write it again. It's not working right. out, and like, yeah. So they can't decide on their their ideology and how they see them. How they see no, the they world. have an idea. They know their yeah. ideology. They're they're happy with where the problem with Disney. I think right now is that a lot of people have come in and said we don't like what Disney is or was. We mm-hmm. want it to be this way. And so we're going to change it from within. And yeah. that's not resonating with the fans. I and mean, so Strange they're, World they're, is evidence trying, of that. Ugh, that's just a terrible movie. They're trying to make Disney into something that it's not. And they're uh-huh. really struggling with it. And so when they release movies that are just stinkers, it's like, well, but the but this this is and they and they kind of don't care they're like this they, they it, they're blaming the audience for not liking what disney is now when right no one wanted no one wanted that from disney in the first place so they mm-hmm. they really are gonna have to have a come to jesus moment where they have to look inward if only they could <laughs> they're gonna have to look inward and really realize i am the problem instead of um pointing fingers elsewhere there's been interviews that Bob Iger recently did. He's constantly blaming Bob Chapek. And the more you research about Bob Chapek, it wasn't necessarily Bob Chapek that was the problem. We actually fixed a few things that, you know, he had to undo from Iger's reign. But that's for another day. I feel like we've gone quite a bit on this. And let us know your thoughts. If you think about Disney, where are they headed? What can they do to improve? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Most people I talk to are just very meh on Disney right now. So... Mm -hmm. They need to turn this boat around quick. Yeah. And if there are any insiders that would like to let us know any more details, Ooh. please you let have, us know. You have complete anonymity. We will obfuscate all the all the incriminating info, if you will, you know, who you are, right. where you work and department and whatnot. We'll just generally provide the information. But we would love to have, you know, we, we've had this before with Frozen and some of the concept art and people have reached out to us about uh, we know we had uh, the scoop on Moana before Moana was out, and then we were mm-hmm. never able to release it for various reasons. But um, yeah, so people have reached out. And we would love to keep kind of diving into this. We we, we reason we're critical is because we love Disney. We want Disney. We know the potential that it has. We want it to fix itself and and be great again. And so, a lot of times, it takes an outside force to be able to show them. Well, that is one thing that's happening. There's there's kind of a this movement. There's a guy who has who's purchasing a ton of Disney shareholders, and he's trying to do this this ouster. Um, and and he might be able to do that. And I I think that might be one of the only things is you have to have someone from the outside come in and and take the the steering wheel away and yeah. and bring it back because. The current leadership, especially Iger, is not ever going to accept fault. Right. If Iger were a man, yeah. he would say, I'm the problem, and he would step down. And that's, well, and that's the question is who? Who takes over Disney now? Mm-hmm. Both Disney and the studio. And that's a big question mark. I couldn't even tell you right now who would be the best fit. You let the guy who was the best fit go. So, <laughs> and, and he's never coming back. Oh no. That's not happening. Which is well, never say never because he left Disney in the 80s because he was upset with everything, started his own studio and then was bought by Disney because he was too good. So, <laughs> I don't know. Someone did send a voicemail actually. Oh, shall we listen? Yes, let me pull it up. Hey, Redicopers. This is Jack Vanay once again, and I like to chime in my views over the current Disney period. If I were to describe it, it would be called the hit and miss era, where a flop immediately follows a hit, and so on. As mentioned in the revival episode, it's proposed to start with Moana, going all the way to Wish, which to me serves as a tiebreaker. From the reception I've seen on social media, it could go either way. I have a couple of opinions to say about the recent Disney film, but I'll bring them up in another voicemail or two. In the meantime, I'd like to give it three and a half stars, 
where it's good, but not great. If I were to make a wish of my own, I'd like to hear your opinions on the Once Upon a Studio Centennial short, which is on Disney+. Plus. If you'd like to reach out, I am Animation Dreamer on Instagram or JazzDNA on TikTok. Thanks, guys, and have a magical day. Nice. Okay. Aww, so JazzDNA. I love it. So we briefly talked about Once Upon a Studio, and ultimately I think just the consensus is that it was kind of, um, for me, I know people said it was good, but I couldn't get past the animation. It was off model. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the idea of it was was nice, and it, it was just one of those things. I was like, oh, well, okay, that's nice. Yeah, and the, it's interesting. She rated the era. She calls it the hit, uh-huh. hit and miss era. We call it the post-Lassiter era, but I think it's probably the post-revival era, you know, to take Lassiter out of it. Um, and she, is int- she has a good point that there's like a hit with a miss, a hit and a miss, you know, Moana, and then, you know, uh, Frozen 2, and then, or you know, Ralph breaks the internet and then, you know, so let's see, we've had, let me pull these up real quick. We've had, uh, Moana, which would be, I'd say hit Ralph break the internet, a total miss frozen Two, mm-hmm. I would say a miss. It's the, yeah. the story's terrible. Riot last dragon, a miss Encanto, a hit strange world, a miss wish a miss. Yeah. And I don't think, um, jazz DNA had seen uh, wish yet by the time this email was sent. But so just two, just two out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So two out of seven are hits and the rest are all misses. So I think that's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a miss for me. I, and, and especially with wish kind of ranking that the most recent has a little bit more weight to me. I would not rank it well at all. It would be a, a two out of five stars. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So now let's go to another one. She sent us another email, I believe. Hi, Rotoscopers. This is Shazdana, and here is how I think Wish should have been executed. Let's start off by saying that Magnifico was already tampering with dark magic by the time Asha applies to be an apprentice. He can still hoard wishes from Rosas, but he could only obtain absolute power if he has her wish, which is the reason why he wants to hire her. The meeting could still go awry, and she goes on to summon Star from the sky, who does have the ability to fulfill people's desires. Asha should become the fairy godmother in the second act and grants her people's wishes behind the king's back. It is when Magnifico finds out that he starts a manhunt for her. Then Simon, one of the friends, sells her out. This is where the king gives people's wishes and Asha reaches her low point caused by her tragic flaw of caring too much. Care too much. <laughs> the third act can still go out the way it did, but it would be more impactful if the events preceding it were stronger. On another note, I wanted Dahlia, Asha's friend, to be Magnifico and Amaya's daughter, so there would be a logical reason as to why the castle is accessible to her pals and why Amaya joined Asha's rebellion. That's all I wanted to discuss. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, great ideas. The, I mean, the fact that you're building up into this more, you, you had, you, you have more of a hit on your hand than they did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The fact that she was this like magical apprentice, but she shows, shows us no signs of having magical ability at all. Yeah. It just, it just felt so flat and, and dumb, um, you know, at least give her a little magic powers. And, uh, you know, there were other, uh, concept art for this film that showed the the star actually being a person which i think would have been way more interesting yes i mean yes you could sell less plushies but and that seems to be modern disney he was kind of like a peter pan Uh slash tinkerbell jack frost yeah that kind Mm -hmm. of a a personality it was cool from the art yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah interesting uh you know and one thing we didn't talk about in wish is that wish the the friends, I didn't realize this because I really hadn't paid attention to any of the promotion leading up to this, but the, the friends were supposed to be like the seven dwarfs. So each right. one of them had a personality of one of the seven dwarfs and even their first name. And because I was talking with Chelsea, I was like, why did her friend have those stupid glasses, <laughs> the Nez Pence or Peznez, Peznez, I think that's what it's called, <laughs> the little dopey glasses that you put on your, your nose and they just kind of sit there. I'm like, why does she have those? They look so stupid. And then I read, oh, she's supposed to be like Doc. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cute, but it's dumb. Like, it's, it's, it doesn't <laughs> even work. So, um, right. 
Yeah, there's just a, a lot of misses, the more, especially since I saw it twice, that... <laughs> I mean, how hard is it? Morgan see- was going off on this movie for three, four days oh, after. every day. And it's like, I... W- <laughs> every day I text her, I'm like, all right, I have another another wish rant. <laughs> I just kept thinking about it. It's like, if we, as people who've seen the movie once, you know, this was before I'd seen it again, and, you know, Jazz DNA right here, All after one viewing, we had better ideas of how to fix this, to streamline it, to make it more interesting. Like, what was the, what was going on? We are not yeah. going to get the making of this movie. I have a feeling, so. <laughs> so. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, that's that. So, Fun. It's fun to get voicemails again. If we get a bunch of them, we can just do an exclusive voicemail only episode. We can like doing those. Um, you know, we're gonna be doing a lot of nerdy couch discussion episodes, just discussion, kind of like what we had today. So good times. All right, that's all we have for this episode of the Animation Addicts Podcast. Again, let us know. You can send us a voicemail at rotoscopers.com/voicemails, and let us know your thoughts, or just contact at rotoscopers.com. That's all we have for today. Until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. Let's see. Microphone is this. Ooh, so pretty. (laughs) Much better, huh? Yes. Okay. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Just trying to clear. So what are we going to do today? We can also go into the fact that she just... Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Let's not spoil all of our fun. Okay. So this is episode... (laughs) What episode is this? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Episode next. (laughs) you've been listening to the animation addicts podcast if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review we're available on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts and if you want to help spread the word be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media just don't forget to tag us at rotoscopers on instagram and use the hashtag animation addicts for all the links and full show notes for this episode go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast now if you still can't get enough for your animation fix be sure to subscribe to us on youtube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news reviews and interviews thanks for listening